You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting Community Here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hey there, Jeanne-Marie Penal, recording this solo episode on February 1st, 2022. So a very happy Lunar New Year to all of you who celebrate Um, I'm always keen to celebrate a new moon. It's a new cycle of life, and it's always a time to set intentions of how we want the next few weeks to go, and um, also really like the new moon when we are out camping, because that is when you can see the most stars. But anyway, that is not the topic of today's episode. Today, I wanted to address a question that I often get about child-led parenting, i.e. Montessori principles at home in parenting. So oftentimes I get this question of, is it too late? You know, have I ruined my child and so forth? Or is it too early to start? So my answer, my short answer, it's never too late. It's never too early. And so today I wanted to, and this will eventually maybe turn into a few parts of episode, because today I really want to start about how early we can start. And so when we talk about Montessori, and there's a whole episode kind of explaining Montessori, if you are not familiar But basically, it is a child-led principle of, and when I say child-led, it doesn't mean it's a free-for-all, but it is really about respecting children for who they are, who they are meant to be, and really follow their curiosity and their desire to master certain skills. So that being said, in parenting, you know, is it is it too early to start that? And I say, no, you can start really looking into it and researching and asking questions and, you know, joining the parenting school, for example, or hiring me as a private mentor, because that is my passion. But I say, start at conception, when you know you are going to be a parent, a grandparent, a foster parent, you're adopting, you know, whatever your journey is in um, kind of guiding and, and nurturing the next generation, 
It is never too early to start investigating and to start really looking into some of these principles. And so when I say start at conception, it's really because one of the pillars of uh, Montessori, and actually the three pillars are you, so you, the caregiver, the parent, the grandparent, uh, whoever uh, you might be listening, you, and then the environment. So the, the home, the school, the, the really the cultural environment and such. And then thirdly, the child. So you being one of those pillars, to me, it's really important as soon as you know that you are expecting to learn about what is going on, what is going on in prenatal life. How can you make sure that the environment that the child is growing in is optimum? And do, you know, I I feel that so many parents either kind of stress out about it or don't worry about it and such. But to me, it's really important to First of all, know that your body is meant for this, right? If you are an expecting uh, person, your body was created to create life and trust it. Really trust that what you are maybe being asked to eat, sometimes we have cravings and such, those are there for a reason. When you are exhausted in that first trimester, honor it. Know that this is an important time for that child being created that you need to rest. Your body is asking you to rest. So listen. And then there's always, you know, what nutrients you are putting in your body, what things may be to avoid during pregnancy. And this is very cultural. It can be very different. Um, I was uh, pregnant 25 years ago in France. A glass of wine a day is no big deal there. Uh, Here in the U.S., no alcohol whatsoever. So it really depends also of the culture. But most importantly, it's what you, you have to tune in also to what your body is requiring. I'm a big coffee drinker. During both my pregnancies, boy, I was not having coffee. I didn't even not like the smell of it. So to me, it's just, it's, it's fascinating how your body just knows what, what you need and what to do. So that being said, you know, it's never too early to start implementing some of these parenting principles because here you are at conception, you are creating this optimal environment for your child to grow. Then when you are going to give birth, that is a second environment and an important environment for you, the birthing family, and for the child. The the environment that you uh, birth in will affect your well-being, your stress level, your your joy in the matter, and so forth. Um, and I recently wrote a blog about this, and I, and I put a little side note, which I'll share with you, which is just on a very personal, and this is, you know, very personal, if I were to 
do it again, which I'm not going to. I'm, I've, I've passed the age of, of childbearing. But if I were, I think I would really, really look into the possibility of doing a home birth. To me, that just seems so much more natural. I have had the privilege of attending two of my dear girlfriend's uh, births, and they had chosen to do home births. And boy, oh boy, was that kind of enlightening and, and, and my eyes opened up to that possibility and it just made so much sense. You know, if you are healthy, uh, you've had a healthy uh, pregnancy, your baby is healthy, there's no reason um, not to really. And so it's, it's the two that I attended were just wonderful. They were attended by amazing, an amazing midwife. There were actually two midwives. Um, and they just tend so well to the mother. The mother is able to walk around her house, uh, eat and drink, and, and one had a birth pool and so forth. So you really are, you know, birthing in the environment that you've created. There are also plenty of options. There's lovely uh, birth centers. I'm actually a volunteer doula at a hospital here that has a lovely birth center and also a labor and delivery unit. So labor and delivery is kind of the hospital uh, atmosphere. The birthing centers are, are more of a homey uh, feel to it or, or a really nice hotel room, uh, you would say, with a big, big bathtub and so on, and midwives and nurses attending the birth. So all this to say that the birth is also part of our parenting journey, and we need to tend to really making the choices of how we want to birth. We get to control that, you know, more or less, depending on the, the you know, health issues or if the, the baby has something going on, we need to be vigilant of that. But like I said, if we are both healthy, if mother and child are healthy, be you know, be your own advocate, do your research, uh, you know, ask questions. Or if you do want to do a hospital birth, what kind of um, cesarean intervention, you know, statistics do they have? Do they uh, do a lot of intervention? Do they do episiotomies? Do they, you know, give drugs, so on and so forth? Because it's your body, you get to choose, and it is the most natural thing uh, that is happening is is birthing a child. Yes, it is some pretty intense sensation, but I do truly, truly believe that if we prepare ourselves, our mindset, our body, and so forth, it can be a gorgeous, beautiful, um, delicious experience. So that was a little... <laughs> parentheses around choosing your birth experience. And, and really, I want to empower any uh, woman listening who is expecting that your body is the most powerful, uh, that it will be that the healthiest that it will be, and that you really need to trust and trust that this is a collaborative work with you and your child. Okay. <laughs> sorry about that. Not, not sorry, but it, it's, it's something as you can tell that really is, is important to me is to, to empower, uh, birthing families. And, and actually that's why I also do my doula work, uh, my volunteer doula work. 
So then the, the third environment that we consider, and this is, you know, the one that will last the longest is our home. How are we setting up our home for our children to thrive, for our children to really adapt to their time, place, and culture? Because that is their most important work, is the work of adaptation. And that is the beauty for me of the Montessori education is really we are purely guides to help them along the way. We've just been around planet Earth for a little bit longer. Uh, We have a little bit more experience and we are going to show them the way, knowing that our children will have a very different experience than ours because they are, you know, the next generation and, and so on. But it's really, we are here to guide them. And so the way that we can think about um, our homes is first is really about considering at these four basic areas of, of our home and kind of around the four basic needs of an infant and a child at the beginning. And here, you know, I will really encourage you to also do your research as what what seems more appropriate and and not and not let yourself be kind of um, you know told or or convinced by the billion dollar baby industry that you absolutely need all of the latest greatest gadgets because honestly you don't and it is a waste of money. It clutters up your home. And it's just, for me, stress-inducing to have to decide and make all of these decisions. So keep it minimal. And I do have a little uh, ebook that I've created for you, kind of the minimalist uh, nursery checklist, where, where to me are really the basic essentials that you, you don't need all that much. And especially an infant, and especially if you've given birth at home is, you know, you, there's, you don't even need a car seat to bring them home because you've got them. You will need a car seat to, you know, go see the pediatrician, things like that. But um, at the beginning, just know that your loving arms are plenty. And that is what's most important. Sorry, there was just a shook up below. thought it was maybe a little earthquake. Okay, <laughs> moving right along. So yes, so minimize what you are going to purchase um, before baby arrives. And really look at your home from their perspective and their child's needs. So one of the things that I highly suggest to expecting parents or, or you know, parents that, that already have a child is to sit down on the floor in your, in your house, you know, maybe even have fun crawling around and seeing it from the child's perspective, because we do live in very adult-centric environments and don't always take into consideration what our child can uh, grab, what they're interested in, what they see. Uh, For example, I love bringing down some family photos down to their eye level, right? Everything is up high for our benefit, but the child isn't seeing it. And and that to me is, is really important. So 
one of the things to consider, as I said, is really these four basic areas. And the four basic areas are really the sleeping area, the feeding area, the physical care area, and then the movement area. And I'll just touch briefly on the four of them of how to to envision these, right? So for example, the sleeping area. So sleep, I'm not going to go into any type of, you know, um, do's or don'ts. For me, it's really sleep is such a personal thing, but such, such an important aspect of our living existence for everyone. Uh, sleep is critical for our mental health, for our well-being, um, for our health. So it is really important that you consider where your child is going to sleep, taking in consideration their needs, but also taking in consideration your needs. So very important. Now in the kind of Montessori principles of, of parenting, we highly encourage uh, the use of a floor bed. And so this is, um, you know, don't bother to buy an expensive crib. It's really look into quality firm mattress and a mattress can be a crib size or twin size or even a queen size mattress. Um, I did a consultation once, which is what they used and, and it was quite nice because, you know, a parent can lie down with the child if need be. And, uh, and it served also kind of a, as a guest room for, for some time. So that was very sweet. But the idea of the floor bed, and I do have a whole blog article on that, that a dear friend of mine, uh, Pilar, kind of shared her experience. But basically, the idea, the notion behind the floor bed is that we are really inviting the child to discover what their area is to rest, relax, and sleep. And, you know, at first they might slither over to the edge, but they are so smart that they will slither back because they will feel that there is a, you know, a few inches off. And, and this is, a, you know, a mattress either in a floor bed frame, which do exist, or a mattress directly on the uh, floor, maybe under a nice rug. So there's really not much, you know, it's not falling from that heights. It's actually lot less dangerous than a child who's starting to climb out of their crib and, and falling from up high. So the floor bed is this, this real trust in that the child will discover their space and that they will learn that it is way more comfortable to stay on the mattress than to roll off and, and be on the hardwood floor or, or, um, or the carpet because they will, you know, they will sometimes roll off and, and it's really no big deal because it's, it's not, like I said, not that high. But what I love about it is that later on when the child is a little bit more mobile, when they are tired, they will go there and they will lie down and rest and sleep. And when they are done sleeping and rested, 
well, they can stay there or they can crawl off and get a book or a toy or crawl and come and get you. There is just this really beautiful sense of independence. And there is this really very important aspect, which is the freedom of movement. Because movement is life and children are, you know, are, are always moving. And when we put them in a container, such as a crib, well, we are, you know, completely inhibiting that. And we're also not trusting the fact that they know when they are tired, right? We are, they're completely dependent on us to, to detect their sleep cues and to pick them up and to put them in there. And then when they wake up, they kind of, you know, scream for us. Some, some do take time and kind of play in their crib, but they will eventually, you know, call for help to, to get out of there. So Something to keep in mind, something to do research is the use of a floor bed. And another thing that I will strongly, strongly suggest if you are bringing home an infant or if you are birthing at home is before baby arrives is to get a tomponcino. And a tomponcino is this beautiful little oval-shaped, um, very thin kind of pillow that uh, is used to carry the baby in or hold the baby in. This is wonderful for other people that are going to come to visit, uh, relatives, friends. And it's wonderful, wonderful if there's an older sibling that is eager to hold baby. Sometimes it can be a little awkward to hold the baby. and um, And this just makes it that much more secure for the person holding. But what it does for the infant is it keeps them in their warmth, in their smell, just like in prenatal life. And it's very, very comforting and, and securing. And so why I say to get it beforehand is that uh, the Tomponcino company that, that I um, uh, am an affiliate with and, and highly recommend, and I'll put the link down in the show notes, is uh, they recommend to actually, you know, have it in your bed for a few days before baby arrives because there you're also imprinting your smell. And that is all part of, you know, their prenatal life is there. They have a very strong sense of smell and, and it's comforting that they will be, uh, you know, first of all, they will be skin to skin with you. And that's reassuring because they, they, they have that familiar smell and the Tompincino will just be an extension of that. So again, do your research, Tompincino. I also have a uh, kind of DIY. It's super simple to make. I even made one during my training. I'm not that great of a seamstress, but it is it is pretty simple. Um, and it's a wonderful, wonderful item to have. So anybody who's listening who have friends or family that are about to have a child, look into that. Uh, that's a beautiful uh, newborn gift, uh, the Tompincino. And if you're expecting, definitely look into it uh, for yourself. So yes, so that was uh, the first area is the sleeping area to really choose where that sleeping area is going to be too. It doesn't, you know, necessarily need to be in a separate room. It can be uh, in a room with you, but just, just be aware that you might have to reassess every once in a while as to, 
what is the sleeping arrangement? Because I really, really want you to pay attention that everybody, including you, are getting restorative sleep. So if we are, you know, nobody's getting good sleep, there's got to be something that we can improve on. Um, and sleep training, I'm not a huge fan of it. I know that there's some, you know, wonderful, wonderful sleep trainers out there. One thing for sure is there is no such thing before six months. So don't even think about it. It's more about sleep shaping and really establishing good, you know, sleep routines. I say keep it as simple as possible because you're going to be doing this routine for many, 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 many nights to come. So keep it simple, keep it joyful, keep it uh, relaxing for everybody. So that is for the sleep area. Then we talk about the feeding area. And so the feeding area at first is really one to establish for the caregiver because in infancy, the child is completely dependent on us to feed them. So whether you are breastfeeding or bottle feeding, I want this to be a comfortable, relaxing, soothing place for the caregiver so that you can enjoy this moment and be, be connected to the child that you are nourishing. This is an important moment for them to know that... Um, they are, you know, born in a safe place where their needs are going to be met. This is a time of connection. I, you know, would like to kind of emphasize that if you can be distracted free and most of the time, I know it's not always possible, but, you know, put your phone down. Don't need to have the TV and everything on. You can really be just staring at your child or, taking a little rest yourself and closing your eyes and, and enjoying this moment. Um, this is a moment to connect. It will not last forever. Uh, it, you know, depending on what your breastfeeding journey is going to be, it could be, it could be a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a few years, who knows? Uh, there is no pressure. It is, you get to, to decide, your child and you get to decide. Personally, both of mine were breastfed uh, three months. And both times, it was kind of out of my control. Um, I think I would have liked to do it longer. I mean, I know I would have, um, but it just so happened that that's what it was. And, you know, it's they're, they're, they're healthy human beings. And I did, I did my best. So that's what's most important. But so the feeding area at first is really for you to be comfortable so you can uh, nourish that infant. So, you know, if you're a grandparent, it's setting yourself up in a, in a comfy chair where you're going to be attentive to your grandchild's need, uh, caregiver the same thing, parent the same thing, and so forth. Then, you know, in few months down the road, they will start showing interest in different foods. And that is where we start introducing uh, what we call a weaning table, which is a just a very low table where the child can sit at. Um, and so we wait until they are able to kind of sit on their own. 
and we sit across from them and just, um, you know, give them some some simple nourishing food. And and I can do a whole episode on feeding. That's a whole other story. But uh, again, make it enjoyable, fun. Uh, food and and feeding is a social interaction. And for me, it's really important to establish routines from the very beginning to um, establish family meals from the very, very beginning. I know that for um, both my children, as soon as they were able to sit on their own, I invited them to the table on their trip trap chair, which is a high chair that I highly recommend that kind of pushes up to our table. You don't need to use the tray. Uh, you can adjust the seat and footrest uh, for many, many years to come. So we actually still have our trip trap, our very first, which was 25 years ago. So it's a, it's a you know little investment, but well worth it. And I remember distinctively the day that my second child, so four years apart, and um, you know he was a few months, but he was he was sitting on his own, probably I don't know, I want to say maybe seven eight months, and he you know I put him in his trip trap and he was at the table and I felt like wow the family is complete it was the four of us my husband my daughter my son and I and it just felt like so complete and from that day forward we've had just about every. Uh, dinner at least every breakfast together the four of us now they're both gone so it is my husband and I but for me family meal around the same table is extremely important and can be done simply and it can be set up from the very beginning and you know eventually that whole weaning area table will become kind of a little snack area as well, if you don't have space for a weaning table, no big deal. The trip trap chair is is wonderful to use as well. So that is the feeding, and then we have the um, what I call the physical care area that will eventually transform into a self care area. But here again, the Physical care area is where we are tending to the child's physical needs. So again, at the beginning, it needs to be uh, set up for the caregiver, for the caregiver to have everything at arm's reach, to be able to connect with the child. This is a time when we communicate with our child. We let them know what we are doing. We are... Uh, asking permission, you know, and so forth. This is a very important time when they are also getting a notion of their their body image, their body scheme. So always speaking to them in, in very positive terms and such. And one of the things that I will say that is important is to be forward facing, Meaning that when you are tending to the child, if you can be looking straight at them in the eyes, uh, you know, face to face, as opposed to what I see a lot is these changing tables that are kind of pushed up against a wall and we are tending to them sideways. <clears throat> so I know that that kind of brings in, you know, little crooks in their necks and so forth. And 
it's just, you know, think of it like when you're going for a massage, your table isn't pushed up against the the wall. You're you're kind of, you know, centered and 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 the person is tending to both sides of your body equally. So that is the same thing. Forward facing is wonderful. And it doesn't have to be on a changing table, right? It could be a low coffee table that you set up a nice, you know, comfy pad on. It can be on the floor if you are, you know, you like sitting on the floor. Like make it comfortable for you to enjoy this moment because at the beginning, we are tending to them quite a bit. So make it that it is, that it is you know, a, a nice place for you as well. And, and there to me, you know, again, I will emphasize is just the, the respectful care and asking permission and so forth and really being in this um, moment where it's not just changing a diaper. It's really this whole interaction with them and, and really, you know, enjoy it is, is what I'm trying to say. Like, this is where we get to 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 talk with them and and they get to answer back with all their their gobbly gook and 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 all their beautiful baby sounds and and you know we're we're interested in what they're saying we're letting them know what we're doing and so forth and this to me if we set this up well uh it is really the beginning of just toilet awareness toilet independence and so forth and then I will say, and I have the links uh, on that blog that I mentioned, but also do your research about elimination communication, because this to me is a really important uh, aspect that I've learned since my own children. But it's this really being aware that they have signs and they are telling us when they need to go and so forth. And I know that there are quite a few families that have adopted this way of doing where they kind of avoid the whole diapers and so forth because they're just so in tune uh, with their child. And I've seen it, you know, with my own eyes. I had a girlfriend, uh, this was her second child, and I remember very well we we met up at a coffee shop. She had her little four month old with her. And at one point she said, Oh, excuse me, I need to take him to the bathroom. I was like, what is she talking about? And sure enough, she came back and oh, yes, he needed to to pee. And just like, wow, because she was so in tune with, um, with him and their little movements and everything. So there is a podcast episode that I did with Andrea uh, Olson, who is the founder of Go Diaper Free, and I'll put the link uh, in the show notes as well. But uh, very cool to to do your research on that as well. And then that whole area will eventually become more of a self-care area when they are more mobile and, and such, and especially when we are if we, you know, if we do wait uh, longer when we are really initiating that whole toilet learning uh, time, which to me is really uh, in toddlerhood, we can really introduce that. I really believe that children can be diaper free by the age of two, two and a half at the latest. So that's a whole other uh, episode in itself. But, um, but yes, and then the last one, which is is critical to the child's well-being and to your well-being, is really to have uh, an area 
that is designated for movement, that is really designated for alert, awake time. And this in infancy really looks like a very simple, nice little mat on the floor. So it can be a thin futon, it can be, you know, some thick blankets, um, it can be those those um, kind of, uh, what is it, those foam things for, um, for gymnastics, whatever you choose, but, you know, a nice little area for them, preferably if it can be up against a wall, because on that wall, we're going to want to fix a mirror from the ground up. So from the ground up to maybe about 25 inches or, or 50 centimeters. And this is just an invitation to movement. Uh, they don't recognize themselves, but they, they, they have this, you know, kind of image. Uh, they get this notion of their body image, of their body scheme, which is fascinating. It invites them to move. And then later on, what is nice is when they do uh, end up sitting on their own, they eventually want to reach for everything, right? We see that a child who is sitting, their, their arms are kind of up in the air like, like primates. And at this time, it's really nice to have what we call a coordination bar. And this is a bar that is placed in front of the mirror at about arm's reach for them. So depending on your child, you know, see where, where they can easily reach with their with their little hands, and they're going to want to pull themselves up. And this is beautiful to see because that is really, you know, that sense of adaptation. They want to be standing up on two legs like us. And this all happens naturally. So again, this whole movement area is free of any type of container and exercisers and play pins and everything. This is really an area where there is freedom of movement. Uh, it is safe. Uh, it is clear of, you know, any dangerous things or things that you don't want them to touch. And um, I can recommend a very low shelf with maybe, you know, two or three little grasping toys. This is also a wonderful place to be hanging some little mobiles that you can make while you are uh, expecting or, or buy some. And these are, you know, natural, easy little mobiles. No need for noise making or battery operated things. This is, you know, very simple geometric shapes that are just moving with the air current. And this helps them with their visual sense. We usually start with a black and white uh, mobile that's called the Munari. There's a whole sequence of mobiles that are just lovely. And so in that area, that's what you would do. So really you're separating these four areas because you're really helping them get used to what happens in each area, right? It's kind of what we call points of reference. So that floor bed, well, that's where we rest, where we relax and we sleep. The movement area is where we're awake and we're moving and we're exploring what our body can do and so forth. And so here there's a real distinction because I have seen this on uh, photos, whether it's on Pinterest or Instagram, where there, the mirror is next to the bed. And I would warn you against that because that gives them a very different message, right? It's like, oh, this is exciting, right? And they're, they're, they're 
they think that uh, they can play in their bed. So really make that bed area, that sleeping area, a very relaxing invitation to sleep. And then the movement area is an invitation for movement and um, being alert and so forth. And then the feeding area and the physical care area. So I think I've touched on all four areas and really, you know, kind of simplified this whole idea of starting Montessori early on with uh, infant care, you know, welcoming baby, the, the Montessori way. I'm really passionate about this. So, you know, don't hesitate to reach out if you have any, any questions um, that there's plenty of contact information, ways to connect with me on my website or I'm on Instagram off and on, but, but that's where I would be or um, Facebook. But you can always book a discovery call with me if you're interested in kind of working more with me. I do private mentoring with families from conception through the first six years of life. The six years being kind of the fundamental, uh, the foundation for the rest of our life. So super, super important. And I also have the parenting school, which is um, open year round. You can enroll anytime. And there I have a series of uh, digital courses, and then we do weekly uh, group mentoring. So all of your questions uh, get answered, whether it is in the Facebook Live or on the group Zoom calls. So that's the Parenting School. Uh, the link is in my show notes or on my website. And I have been welcoming uh, families since uh, November of 2021. And I've decided that 2022, the doors are open because we parent 365 days a year and there is no closing it. So I have committed to being in the group mentoring every single week of this year. And I invite you to join me and to join other like-minded parents. So I will tune off now. I wish you all a very uh, happy uh, Lunar New Year. This is uh, February 1st of 2022. And I will be back next month with another episode. Until next time, bye-bye for now. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. And do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.